Get your worship guys out. We are in uh, a series. This is the third installment of our series entitled what? Freedom. Freedom. Come on, say it like you mean it. Entitled what? Freedom. All right, all right. How many were here for the first two messages? Raise your hand if you were here, okay? So let, let me just sort of say I, um, the, 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 the tension was I know that some of this stuff's going to go over some people's heads, but at the same time, we had to go deep a little bit so you don't get beaten up real bad. And so there's just a crazy nuts world we're in right now, and in order for people to be successful and to get out of this uh, treading water, stuck, not able to move forward, not able to overcome in this life kind of mode of living, we're not supposed to be in a survival mode, we're not supposed to just be in a success mode, we're supposed to be in a significant mode of life. In order for that to happen, we've got to learn how to overcome, and so I gave you kind of uh, some weapons for overcoming, specifically talking about the blood of Jesus, right? Anybody learn something new about the blood of Jesus during this series? Okay, so we got to see the shed blood, the sprinkling of the blood. We got to see that it's a weapon. It's not just something that paid for our sins, but it can help us and give us power over this life. And, uh, you know, and then even on like the, uh, the um, encounter service, we talked about another weapon called praise, and that was a powerful night as well. But today, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into kind of some new, new content, and I think this will really help you a lot. I'm going to read two portions of scripture, starting with a New Testament scripture from 2 Corinthians. So you can follow with me or look at the screen, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Are you ready? For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. Everybody say divine power. So we've been given something that has power that comes from, it's divine, it comes from God, it comes from above. They have divine power to do what? To destroy strongholds, strongholds. That's our message today. The title of our message, if you want to know what it is, is strongholds. And then it says, with this divine power, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, or you could say above the knowledge of God, and we take every thought like that captive to obey or to the obedience of Christ. So that's kind of a uh, a, a doctrinal premise for how we wage war, but also it reveals uh, one of the things that we need to deal with is strongholds. Now, this next text from Judges is where is what I call a case study of somebody who had a stronghold or even a people group that were dealing with a stronghold, and I'll unpack stronghold in a minute. Judges 6, I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 16. Uh, it says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, not Okra, okay, uh, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press, wheat in a wine press, remember that, wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord, you know, he, they used to say, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go, <laughs> he kind of responds totally different. Go in the might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And Gideon said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Beyond, or excuse me, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord again says, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Today I'm going to talk to you about strongholds. Now, as we get into this subject, 
I've kind of over the last couple of weeks tried to convince and convey and create a little hunger, a little bit of appetite or contrast to try to get you to get frustrated, maybe even a little intolerant with um, the condition sometimes that we're in where we're staying the same, we're not moving forward, we're not breaking through, we're not overcoming, we're getting beaten up and beat down. Um, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because regardless of your socioeconomic status, your pay grade or status, regardless of what uh, uh, generation you might come from, regardless of your ethnicity, wherever you come from, everybody needs freedom. Everybody has, has issues, right? Everybody has issues. That's kind of a truth. Everybody needs freedom. But a lot of times people don't want to or don't know how to face their freedom issues. And sometimes we're not inviting God into our life to help us overcome the problems that we're having in this life, and we're not experiencing the shalom, the peace, and the transformation of God. So Paul, uh, he addresses a problem in the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians was a church, the Corinthian church, and he the Corinthian church was the high-dollar, kind of um, high-profile uh, church. Uh, lots of people getting saved. Lots of things happened. Lots of incredible experiences. They understood the power and work of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they understood the, the blood of Jesus. They understood they, they had an experiential knowledge, but, but they had a problem, though. And Paul saw what the problem was. He, he, he had diagnosed the problem as a stronghold. And so that's why he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, that we have to demolish these, these arguments, these pretensions, these, these notions and things like that because, <coughs> excuse me, because they produce strongholds. And so this diagnosis of a stronghold kind of shows up. So I want to tell you uh, up front and center what a stronghold is. So write this down if you're taking notes. A stronghold is a mindset. Everybody say mindset. mindset. Turn to your neighbor and say mindset. Only two of you turn to your neighbor, so you're disobedient. Okay. <laughs> it's a mindset. It's a value system. It is a thought process that hinders your growth. A stronghold is a mindset. Mindset. It is a value system. Uh, contrary, by the way, to the word of God, it is a thought process that is hindering your progress or growth. That is what is happening with many people today, in particular Christians. They have strongholds in their life. Another, uh, another definition of stronghold is a stubborn disposition, a stubborn, uh, resistant uh, no, you're not going to get me uh, disposition, uh, attitude. D David Wilkerson said, most people, when they hear the word or think of the word strongholds, they think of it in terms of um, an external or outward bondage typically manifested in behaviors like sexual sin, uh, alcoholism, uh, drug addictions, things like that. Uh, these outward sins are typically categorized as the worst of the worst based on human standards. But in God's view, that is not... That is not the more severe or serious problem. There's a more severe or serious problem than those external things. They are strongholds. In other words, is everybody with me right now? It is the beliefs that precede the behaviors. And so we, God's trying to say, you won't fix this until you deal with this, these mindsets, these 
thought processes, these stubborn dispositions. You, it's like the person who was by the well and, and Jesus, you know, the, the angel of the Lord would come and the, stir the waters and this particular person was sick and lied there for 38 years. And then Jesus comes and has a conversation and says, do you even want to get well? Like the solution was right there. But why? Why wasn't that person? Well, stronghold, a mindset, a value system, a thought press. Oh, you know, everybody else gets in ahead of me every day. When that happens, other people move me out of the way. The person could have rolled right in the water over 38 years. You didn't have to get up or walk or be put in a wheelchair or dunked. Just roll, baby, roll. That's funnier than you realize, okay? And so... So David Wilkinson says uh, that there's something worse, and it's, it's different. And, and, and what happens is it's like an accusation. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Anybody ever heard that before? In Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. So the, Satan will bring these accusations at the most inopportune times. He will whisper lies, falsehoods, misconceptions, twist truths, distort realities, at times when you are most vulnerable and susceptible to deception. And so Satan, God is omniscient, Satan is not, but he's intelligent. And, and so his objective is to separate you from God forever, but also here on earth to separate you from the purpose and plan and victory in Jesus here on earth as well. And so what he'll do is he'll, he doesn't do it himself because Satan's up here and he's got his little minions, but he sends people to, sends a followers, fallen angels to follow you and watch your life. We call these familiar spirits. I talked about this last week. They watch your life and they observe your behaviors and they try to figure out the right time to whisper lies and twist realities and get you to think something else and get you to, uh, uh, you know, consider this. God did not say, like, he, like the serpent said uh, to Adam and Eve in the garden. He, he comes at that moment when the temptation could be, could, could, could be, they could overcome it successfully or they could fall terribly. That's when Satan comes. Uh, Satan, uh, you know, came to Jesus when he was hungry after a fast. And then he came and he tempted him uh, with external, but because he was full of the spirit, he was able to overcome it. And then the Bible says the devil went away for a more opportune time. Right? Is everybody with me right now? And so the enemy is coming alongside you, and he'll try to accuse God uh, and plant these distortions and these lies inside of you, and he typically is attacking uh, the identity uh, uh, that you have in God, the worth that you have in God, and value that you have in God, the goodness of God and, and his love and care for you, he'll, he'll come in. So you'll be going through a certain trial, difficulty, or tragedy, and in the midst of that trial, he'll whisper a question to you, where's God in all this? If God loved you, uh, the Bible says, if God before you, who can be against you? Where's God? He's clearly not for you right now. And in those moments, if you accept or entreat those falsehoods, those lies, or those deceptions, and they get inside you, the devil gets a foothold, and then that foothold over time, if cultivated, can become a stronghold. Now, before you know it, you have a mindset. You have a new value system, and it's those Value systems, those mindsets, those strongholds that keep you from being able to be free. And so instead of God working beside you and through you in those trials, you, you reject him. 
and you don't see the plan of God. And so somebody quotes to you, uh, God works all things together for good to them that love him and are called according to his, well, he didn't work anything good for me. That didn't happen to me. Well, if it's not good yet, it's because he's not done yet. Or because we've rejected him and his character and his goodness and his integrity and his plan and his worth and his goodness. Is everybody with me right now? So the enemy works on you. And so because of that, God can't work through you. And so you don't see the miracle. This is what we have a current condition called the deconstruction of faith right now. You can look it up if you want, but it's, it's really nothing. It's just a new label. But basically, there are people in my position, uh, more prominent, though, in terms of influence, high-profile Christian leaders that are denouncing the faith, denouncing Christianity. And it's affecting a lot of the millennials in the next generation because they're the ones watching these worship leaders and these high-profile pastors. You know why they're walking away from the faith? Because they've allowed a mindset to get in. They've let the enemy whisper in their ear. They've accepted and cultivated these little things over time. And instead of taking captive every thought and submitting it to the obedience of Christ and demolishing these arguments and these pretenses and these notions, they've received them. And like soil, it's begun to be germinated and cultivated and grown and to the, to the point where ultimately it's a foothold that becomes a stronghold, that ultimately becomes a chokehold. Is everybody with me right there? Okay? So if the enemy can get you to doubt what God is like, he can't work good in you and through you as much as he wants to do. And so Paul is challenging God's people. For you to be free, you're going to have to deal with these strongholds. Now, we have, as Christ followers, we talked about this already, victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior. I know all these old songs. You just don't realize this, but forever. All right, anyway, we keep going. Uh, but we have victory in Jesus because of being purchased by his blood, because of your association uh, with him, because he overcame, you can overcome also. But we have to walk that victory out. We have to take captive uh, that, and, and apprehend and go after that victory for it to work in our life. But what happens is we allow things to compete with Jesus Christ in our life at the, at, at the top seat, at the throne of our life. And anything that competes with Jesus is a stronghold. In the throne of your life. Is everybody with me? But you've been given by God as a believer hands that were anointed by him to tear down and to pull down strongholds in your life. Strongholds. Now what happens is sometimes we don't understand that there's a distinction in the Bible. I was doing word contrast with you a couple weeks ago between the shedding and the sprinkling of the blood. But I'll do a different one today. There's what the Bible calls strongholds and a strong man. Has anybody heard those two terms? There's a stronghold and then there's a strong man. So a stronghold, I've already taught you, is a mindset. A strong man is a spirit. It's a powerful spirit. It's usually, it has a strength to it, but it gains its strength from its stronghold. It's position or pivot foot in your life. So in essence, a stronghold is where our temple, we open the door, the mind is open, and then the strong man is the doorkeeper. We open the door, and then there's a doorman. That's, so one is a stronghold, kind of the house, and the other one is a strong man. That's the spirit. So if you want to deal with the strong man, you can loose, bind, cast out, do all you want. But if you don't deal with the stronghold, you're not going to get rid of the strong man. See, we have, to, we have to tear down and pull down these strongholds in our life in order for us to be fully free. I know it's a little high and lofty for some of you, but you need this. So now, that's the theological uh, background of it. Let me give you a case study that will make it all come alive. Is everybody with me? Yeah. 
So this case study is taken from the book of Judges. It's, it's, it's circling an individual named Gideon that I think relates to us. And it's also in the context of the book of Judges, which I think is similar to the context in which we live in today in our kind of amoral culture. Not immoral, but amoral culture. Now, in the book of Judges framework, there, were, there was a generation, the Joshua generation. Joshua was the guy who followed Moses. He was right alongside him. He saw all the mighty miracles. And then he kind of finished the work and took the people of God into the promised land after they were delivered from the Egyptians. Joshua was awesome. And he was courageous. And he was incredible. And, and, and they saw all these great things. And then they told some of those stories to the next generation. But by the time it got to three generations, the third generation after Joshua, the Bible says in Judges chapter 2, paraphrasing, that they began to practice idolatry and they were stubborn in their ways and they basically forgot about God completely. So three generations after the mighty works of the, some of the most incredible things in all of human history that took place, the plagues and, and the great deliverance and all of that, only generations later completely forgotten. What can we glean from that, by the way? We can glean that if we don't give away what God has given us, our faith is only but a generation away from extinction. My, my pastor, I was just with this last week, and he is, a, he is a very influential person on the planet, and he was at the White House uh, with uh, two, three other pastor friends of mine, and they were invited in to pray for some politicians. Whether This is not a political statement. This is just he was just invited in to pray. Regardless of whatever side you're on, uh, he, he would have said yes. So he goes, and can't mention the different names that showed up for this particular meeting, but they were desperate to be prayed for because of the pressures and the, and, and the difficulties they were doing. And they had... These people just want a prayer, no agenda, but prayer, which that in itself is a miracle for politicians. No agenda, just prayer. That's funny. I don't care what you say. All right. So they get in there to just pray for them. They said, can you just, and they actually got to lay hands on these leaders and pray for them in the name of Jesus. And these guys were, different guys were just like, some guys were crying. Some guys were just like, just kind of breathing out all this pressure. But when they were done, it was just, I'll never forget when pastor was saying this. He said, in so many words, they said, People out there, you need to know something, pastors. People out there think that the behaviors and the morality and the decisions flow from the White House. They don't flow from the White House. They flow from God's house. Please go back to all the churches and people that you influence and let them understand if they don't pass God's values on, then our country is doomed. So we have a responsibility as a church. In other words, the the not only immorality, but amorality of our culture that we're experiencing right now today. Uh, I'm not talking politics. I'm talking values right now. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about egregious things that we're seeing today where people are walking away from God and, and doing heinous and egregious things. In order for that, the blood of their behavior is, he's saying, and they were saying, is on the church's hands, not on government. So we've got to pass this on. Can I have an amen out there? All right. It's important for us to do this. Amen. Amen. If we don't, so what happens is in Judges 17, 6, it says, at that generation, it said, all the people did what seemeth to be right in their own eyes, which is the number one characteristic of our culture in America today, is we do what I think is right for me. And so the children of Israel are losing it here, and, and, and God, God is, is a good God, but he's also a loving God, and a loving God often disciplines. And so God believes in, listen, this will bust your theology, he believes in spankings. Yeah, and you can't call CPS on God. 
So God's disciplining uh, his, his children during this particular time. And, and while he's, he's, he's disciplining them, know this, while he's doing it, if our attitude and actions respond accordingly, he'll stop it at any time. I don't know about you, but if you, if you tell, listen, listen, kids, uh, you know, tell your grandson or tell your kids, listen, you got to clean up your room. They don't clean up the room. Then they get disciplined. Now, what I would do with them when they would get disciplined is say, okay, you know, wh- what do you need to say to daddy? Then they'd have to repent. They'd have to say they're sorry. That wouldn't be enough, though. It's so, okay, now we're going to go back and we're going to clean up the room. And so we take them back. I'll cooperate. We work together and clean up the room. That's what God is saying to us as his kids, and that's what he's doing here in the book of Judges. He's saying, okay, stop it. Stop it. If you don't, you're going to keep getting, you're going to get another spanking. And so, so he's, he's always wanting the discipline to end, and he's always inviting us in, and he wants to take us back to where the problem is and become a part of cleaning up the mess together. Is everybody getting what I'm saying right now? So that's what's going on. Now, what will make all of this work is this principle, and this is going to pop as we go forward. Write this down. Your freedom starts and ends with an encounter with God. Whatever I teach you prior to this and going forward, whatever you learn in your freedom groups, you need to have an encounter with God. The only way you ever really get free is because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You're going to need the power. You cannot save yourself. And you cannot set yourself free either. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's regarding your eternity and also the problems you're facing in the temporal world in which you live right now. You're going to need God and you're going to need to invite God into your situation. Interestingly enough, he's always pursuing you trying to get into your situation. So in Judges chapter 6, our case study, look what happens. Verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. Uh, and, and I'm not sure what's, you've seen what's going on, but God's so cool. God shows up in this text, and I'll unpack it in a minute, but he is cloaked. So he's, he, 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 you, Gideon can't see him, but he's there. He's present. So this, this is where God, you know, he, he's the originator of cloaking technology, okay? Just so you know. So he's cloaked, and he's watching Gideon function in his dysfunction. Now, what, when I was reading this, the Lord said to me something like this, and I think I put it in your notes. But just because God isn't seen in your life doesn't mean he's not present. See, sometimes you think God isn't there because you can't see him. Just because he's not seen doesn't mean he's not present. You know why you can't see him? Because you're not prepared to see him in your mindset and in your heart. When, when I was flying home, and I fly... Good amount now, but I was flying home just uh, Thursday night. The pilot, you know, is looking out the window, and he's describing things and saying, if you want to see this, it's over there. If you want to see that, it's over there. You know, Lady Liberty is coming up on the right hand. I'm thinking, I don't see Lady Liberty anywhere. All I see is clouds and itty bitty little lights. <clears throat> but the reason I couldn't see it is because I'm not prepared to see it. He was a trained, conditioned pilot that knew exactly where to look and to be able to focus attention to be able to see something that was present, but I couldn't see it. Is everybody with me? So, so just because something's not seen does not mean it's not present. But not only is God there, uh, present, cloaked but present, but m- more than that, he approaches or he gets near Gideon in his dysfunction which communicates so much that God, God doesn't care how messed up or jacked up your life is. In fact, he's not shocked by it in any way, shape, or form. In fact, your mess isn't the worst mess he's ever seen. 
which is good news because some of us have got some messy, messy situations going on in our life, right? And so anyway, um, I think it's incredible that God could see, by the way, he can see your past mistakes, the mistakes you're going to make today, the mistakes, the mistakes you're going to make in the future. He can see it all simultaneously and still want you, love you, and actually be pursuing you. And in this story, that's actually what he's doing. In fact, we think that God will only love a future us when we get it all worked out, when we get it all cleaned up. In fact, what's keeping the gospel from taking effect on the earth in acceleration or in full impact is not just the messaging from the church, but it's also a stronghold on the people out there who think I have to have it all worked out out there before I can come in here. And so sometimes we, there's, there's these strongholds that have to be, because God said in his word, he demonstrated, God came from heaven to earth into our messy world, into a messy situation as an infant, into, you know, the circumstances there that we, we worship at Christmas time every year around. He did that, and yet he demonstrated his love toward us while yet, while we were yet sinners died for us. See, so he, he's fine with messes. We're the ones that are keeping ourselves. God won't let your mess keep you from him. You are letting that keep you from him. We got to make sure that we invite him into our mess. So in the second part of verse 11, it says, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press. So Gideon's in this hole beating out wheat in a wine press. And I'm like, why is he beating out wheat in a wine press? Aren't you supposed to be making wine in a wine press? It was kind of weird. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'd be a terrible farmer. I can't even grow grass. <laughs> but, but a farmer would take the wheat to the threshing floor, throw it up, and let the wind separate the wheat from the tears. That's, that's kind of what would be going on. In this particular story, it, it reveals within the context of this chapter Israel's idolatry, but also Gideon's problem. See, Gideon and the Israelites were afraid of Midian. And the Bible says that, and we read it, read, it, read it in the beginning. And so they're afraid of Midian. So Gideon, afraid of Midian, <laughs> goes in secret, out in the dark at night, into a hole, into a wine press to shuck wheat. What, why, is he, why is he afraid? Why is he doing in secret? Why is it in dark? And why is he doing something else where he should be doing something else. In fact, I wrote this in my notes. You know you have or are in a stronghold when you are using something that was created to function one way for another way and see it as normal. See, God has designed you a certain way to do something, but you're not doing it for the purpose for which it was created or it has become aberrant, distorted, excessive, out of control, and we don't even see it, and now we're calling it normal. Has anybody ever watched the show Hoarders? Hoarders? Okay, know what I'm talking about? Everybody know what a hoarder is? Raise your hand if you're still alive here and breathing. Okay, praise God. Five of you. Awesome. Um, hoarders, this show, I could, I, I had a, we had a hoarder right across the street from us. Uh, 13 years, we only saw this, our neighbor like twice. Um, he ended up dying in his house. I mean, you know, basement floor, ceiling, just filled with stuff. Unbelievable. Just crazy situation. A relative 2,000 miles away in Alaska had to kind of come and figure it all out because there was no contact, no relationships. Just crazy situation. I was watching Hoarders, uh, one, one episode where a woman had 80 cats in her little house. I, by the way, I said 80, not eight. You know how I feel about cats. And I'm thinking... This, how, how does this happen? And so somebody knocks on the door in the show. 
And, you know, she opens the door, and they're like, ho, ho. You know, it's like, you can smell it. It was just it was terrible. It's cat, you know what I mean? It's crazy. And she's like, hi, hi, you want to come in? You know, like, oblivious. How does she not know how dysfunctional this situation is? They're, like, going to call the Coast Guard to clear the place up, you know, and... It was jacked, it was just crazy jacked up. And, 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 and we have, in our lives, in our situation, we have, in essence, God knocking at the door of our heart, many of our, many of our lives. And like hoarders, we have put, we have insulated ourselves with ideas and notions and pretenses and opinions to protect ourselves from ourselves where we could get free from ourselves if we would just allow God to come into our life and help us see what we can't see. But what happens a lot of times, over time, this becomes such a new norm. We don't smell the smell. We don't see the stench anymore. We don't understand this is not how you're supposed to live because it's become a stronghold. And some of you are doing that. But God has better for you. But we've been paralyzed, as it were, in our current state. But I believe God's knocking in this series, and he's going to knock over the course of this year so that you can not just praise and pray on Sunday, but then turn around and be in turmoil in your personal life and in your inner life. God wants you to be free. God wants to be allowed, invited to come into your mess. He's okay with that. He can handle that. Is everybody with me? And so how, how does he do it? He, first of all, wants to encounter you, and then he always follows up with encouragement. It's an amazing thing how he does. Yes, he disciplines, but once we encounter God, he always comes with encouragement. In fact, he'll always encourage you way beyond where you are now. He, in essence, he'll prophesy to your future. In verse 12, it says, and the angel of the Lord appears. Everybody say appears. He appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. When I first read this, I'm like, God, I'm confused. This doesn't make sense. How would you call him? A, he's functioning in his dysfunction. First of all, he appears. So he goes from cloaked to uncloaked. I would have peed my pants if God did that with me. I'd be like, you know, like God just goes, Shazam. You know, I'd be like, ha! You know, I would have freaked. But <laughs> amazingly enough, Gideon doesn't even see it. That's how entrenched this stronghold was in his life. And so uh, basically God's going to speak to him and he he's, he's wants to be done with the discipline. He wants to move uh, Gideon out. And so he prophesies beyond and says, oh, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Mighty man of valor means worth. I see your worth. Mighty is saying, you are a Navy SEAL in the kingdom of God. And Gideon's like, what? <laughs> Who? You know, him, who, I don't know who you're talking to. Do you see me? Do you see where I am? Do you know our conditions? God's prophesies to his future. So first, we need an encounter with God. But when you get an encounter with God and you invite that encounter, and we'll talk about how to get it in a second, God always brings encouragement. Can I have an amen out there? And so he, and he wants you to see how mighty and powerful you are. But we don't see that because we see through a different lens. We, we see through different eyes. See, I wrote this in my notes. God is the worst talent picker in the universe. In other words, you see the people he sees or he picks and you're like, what? What are you doing? I grew up, uh, 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 and I don't look like it necessarily, but I grew up a baller. Like, I, 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 I finally retired. I put up my basketball shoes. Uh, I played a little bit on my sabbatical, and uh, it was a humbling experience. But anyway, <laughs> but when I used to go to the basketball court not too long ago, I'd get a ball, and I would show up at the court, and I'd just start dribbling between my legs, you know, kind of like chewing gum, you know, just kind of sizing up the competition, sometimes a little behind the back, you know, little, 
little spin, like one dribble through, grab it again. Sometimes on the kneecap, back forth, you know, I go back. Some, some of you boys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so but while I'm doing that, I'm sizing up the competition. I'm like, okay, who's gonna, who, who do I want to run with because I want to run this court. But what I'm doing is I'm looking for talent. I'm looking for skill, right? God doesn't go like that. God doesn't play like that. He if God was to play ball, he would show up at the basketball court. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father would probably show up leading the pack. You know, he's got like, he'd probably be like, you know, long, long, long socks, you know, all the way up to here with them old Converse on, you know, headband, wristband, chewing gum, you know what I mean? Yo, Jesus, you ready for this? Yeah, Holy Spirit, you ready? Holy Spirit's like floating in, he's got hops, you know what I mean? God the Father's got handles, you know. Jesus is low post. You know, he took all the punishment. Anyway, for us, chastisement of peace was upon him, right? Anyway, so God the Father shows up. He's there, he needs two more players and, and, and all this talent's there. And, and he, they're wondering why they won't pick him. So they're doing layups and dunks and all this kind of stuff. But this is like kid in the back. And, and, and he, he wanted to play for so long that he just like gave up and started playing on the internet. So he's like playing like basketball on the phone. And so, so God the Father, hey, 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 yo, young man, yeah, you, you want to play ball? Want to run with me? The guy's like, uh, okay, okay, you know. And so this little kid runs out, he grabs his ball, he's so excited, he bounces it off his foot, you know what I mean? All the guys laugh, he's got no game. And God's like, come on, come on, come on, it's okay, okay. And so God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus, they're, they're waiting, he's got four. Then he sees a girl, and everybody thought she was just a cheerleader, but she actually did want to play, but she's terrible. She hasn't ever played before in her life. And God the Father, hey, hey, you want to play? Me? Me? Are you sure? I've never played before. God's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's okay. I don't know if you don't want to lose. I'm not sure you want to pick me if you want to, if you, unless you want to lose. No, 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 come on. So he gets his five. He gets his five. So this is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus, you know, low postman Jesus. And, 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 and he's got this little, little, little guy who's better on the internet than he is on the court. And he's got this girl who's never played ball. So they all of a sudden, they throw, this, this team comes out. They're like, we're going to run these guys. They're laughing inside. Tip off. Jesus goes up, you know, to get it, you know, big man pushing people out, but the Holy Spirit jumps right over the top of them, grabs the ball, and they're going down the court, no look pass, boom, the little girl who's never caught a ball in her life or shot it, it just runs right into it, it bounces off her chest, she just kind of heaves it up, basket, it's good, they go down the other end, great defense, Holy Spirit swats one off the glass, God Gets it, shovel pass to Jesus. Jesus does it like crossover, crossover, do, 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 and whoa! And then he goes to this little short guy, and all of a sudden he catches the ball, and he just, he, he, he's like a three-point land, and he doesn't even know how to dribble, so he just jumps. And he, he can't jump, but all of a sudden he jumps, and he's like, whoa! And he dunks it. And the other team's like, what's going on? They're like, we don't know. I'll tell you what's going on. See, God doesn't look at what you have. He's not looking at what's inside of you. He wants you to get you near him, and you will become a better player. You will be conditioned. You will be coached. You will get the skill. You become the best player by being with the best player. God may be the worst picker, but he knows how to choose people. And if he can choose people like that, then I got a chance and you got a chance. Can I have an amen out there? <laughs> so don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Jesus, with his 120 disciples, listened to people he chose. He chose a religious skeptic, a bad businessman, a Hebrew fundamentalist, a thief, thugs, a shady government worker, a radical Jew, mama's boys, spoiled rich kids, a prostitute, a healed outcast, aristocrats, a legalistic person, a licentious person, and a formerly demon-possessed woman to represent his reign. 
I'm dizzy from that crew. Okay? But that's the kind of people God picks. And if he picks people like that, you and I got a chance to do some incredible things for God. But it's by inviting him into our situation, saying, yeah, will you play on my team? Yes. And you will become a better player in Jesus' name. Amen? So verse 13, the Bible says this. I'm fired up. Gideon says, please, my Lord. He, didn't, he still didn't know after God reveals himself. He says, if this is the Lord, huh? He says, why? And he says, where? Why does this happen? Where's, where's all the wonderful deeds? That our fathers, remember that, recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? See, he's going back to generations back. Things that fathers, fathers, fathers had been said, but now it's been twisted. The first time father said, did you not know what God did for us when he delivered us from the people? But now it's being twisted. Now it's being, didn't God do wonderful deeds in the past? Where is he now? See, he's coming with an attitude. He doesn't recognize God, and he's saying things with the wrong. He's recounting things with the wrong mindset. But now the Lord has forsaken us. See, if God was a good God, you wouldn't say that something like he's forsaken us right here. Is everybody with me right now? So interesting, he can't see God yet. But some of you have had some hard, rough, difficult experiences, and you've done the same thing. You've recounted it wrong. Where are you, God? If, the, if you're so good, why would you let this happen? Listen, he didn't let it happen. He, he didn't cause it. He didn't do it to you. They did. But he's right beside you if you would invite him in instead of reject him. In other words, you can like Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, his worst day, our best day. Jesus said, God, why, has, why have you forsaken me? L listen to the difference between what we do and what Jesus did. I didn't say this in any other service. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And so if Jesus could point his toughest question at God, you can too. But Jesus never implicated God as responsible. That's the difference. See, you, the reason that's so important is you can aim it, but you don't blame it. Amen's fine. Blaming's bad. Blaming's bad. See, so God, Jesus was able to see God the Father's plan when he, when he invited him into his pain rather than running from him, rejecting him, or blaming him amidst his pain. Did you guys get what I just said? Okay, so this is, it's really important. So, but what you might need to do in order to be successful is you might have to go back in order to go forward. Uh, I, I'm reading this book on emotional, spiritual, emotional health is connected to spiritual health by Peter Scazzaro. And he basically says that you're going to have to sometimes go back to your past to see how it's affecting your interpretation of your present. And so a lot of people aren't free because you need to, you need to kind of ride that rope all the way back to that root cause. Root cause is really similar to mindsets in your life in order for you to be free or to overcome in your life. Now, once Gideon realizes that God is there, and he, and he realizes the encouragement that's coming from God. He begins, then, then he's got an opportunity to, to invite God into his situation. So God speaks to him in verse 25. Are you still with me, everybody? Verse 25, it says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. So listen, remember that father thing? Basically, God's saying, Hey, there's an altar of Baal, and there's these, these, these things that your father, who is a priest, a high priest of Asherah and Baal, other gods. Gideon's father walked away from God the Father and started following other gods. 
These gods were trusted for resources and for fertility and, and other things. And so that father had a, had a way of thinking that was affecting Gideon. For you to be free, sometimes you have to go back to family of origin issues. Sometimes you have to go back, in Gideon's case, to daddy issues he had within the structure of his family and see the root cause of that stronghold. That's why you need to be in a freedom group. That's why some of you might need therapy. Christian therapy, by the way. Colossians 2.8, great reference for that. You might need that because that root cause, that, that, that thing back there is affecting your interpretation of the present. And when you unlock that stronghold, you'll be able to overcome the strong man that's in your life that's kept you from God's best in your life. Amen? And so the Bible says in this verse, it says, I want you to pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Pull down, cut down. And build an altar. Everybody say build an altar. So you, so you pull down, you cut down, and then you build. So God never says, take this away and stop doing that without putting something better on top of it. So there were these notions, these ideas, these ways of thinking that, that, that Gideon had put here. And God said to Gideon, tear those down and cut those down. And then I want you to put something on top of what was once a stronghold in your life. And you do that by building an altar. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a physical altar. In the New Testament, we are, our heart is the altar. You're the temple. Your heart is the altar. And so what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to make an altar to invite God into your mess and rewrite your message. Are you guys with me right now in this third service? Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for you. You can put your notes away. There's tons more I could say right here, but I'll build on it in coming weeks. But there might be something currently, the Bible's saying to Gideon, build an altar. But there's something already on the altar. What is enthroned on the altar of your life? What have you put above God that needs to be pulled down, cut down, torn down in your life? What mindset, what stronghold? I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit reveal that to you. But before we do, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray for you. It's kind of like... It's kind of like a story that just comes to me. Just listen to the sound of my voice. But I can remember... You know, and, and you've been in a situation when somebody comes over your house unannounced and you don't want them there. The reason you don't want them there is because your house is messy. <laughs> you don't want them to see what's going on inside. But if somebody came over your house and you knew them, as soon as you opened the door, you'd say, oh, it's you. And they'd say, thanks a lot. But after that, you'd invite them in because there was, you knew how they felt about you. And if they were a really good friend, they'd start cleaning up the mess with you. That's what God wants to do in this moment right now. That's what God is trying to do in the story of Gideon as well. He wants you to invite him in to your mess. In order for you to have a God encounter and to be encouraged by God with a word from God, you're going to have to build an altar and you're going to have to open up your heart to him and open up those places in your life that you closed off to him. And so maybe here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is what I want you to do. First group, I want you to, if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to give you that chance to do that. And the best way to say yes to God is by first raising your hand and saying, Pastor, that's me. I've never invited Jesus into my life. I want to make sure I'm connected to him. I'm in relationship with him. If that's you, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want you to miss this moment. Go ahead, raise it up good and high. Be courageous. Don't miss that chance. Thank you, thank you. I see that. Thank you. Is there anybody? Thank you, sir. Thank you for your courage. Is there anybody else? I think there's one more in the back. Thank you. You can put your hands down. 
Now, if you're here today and you know there's a part of your life and there's, there's these doors where we have to, it's, it's on the altar of our heart where we're saying, you know what, I'm not going to close this part of my life off to you anymore. I believe there are strongholds in my life but, and there are some messes in my life that I can't clean up by myself and I want to invite God to come into that part of my life and set me free. These strongholds, I don't want to deal with them anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm building an altar. I'm sacrificing this part of my life to you and saying yes to God. If you know there's a mess in your life and you can't deal with it by yourself and you need an encounter and you need encouragement, I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor, all over the room, all over the room, all over the room. In a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to keep, the, keep those hands up in a minute and just worship God, but I want you to say this with me. I want to pray for both groups at the same time. Would you pray this out loud? Say, Jesus, I thank you that you were the door. You said, I am the way, or you could say, I am the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus Christ. I receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, I also thank you that there are parts of my life that are messed up, that are messy, and yet you still pursue me and you still love me. I receive your love for me. I invite you into my mess. I desire to encounter you. Now, please encourage me in my spirit, man, in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to begin to pray for you, and I want you to just worship to this song. And as I begin to pray, I want you to receive the freedom that comes from God as I pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every single person that's making an altar in their heart, that's opening up their life to God. Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart, that you would come near to them as they come near to you. Lord, we're going to give you this song. We're going to give you our worship. We tear down strongholds. We pull down strongholds in Jesus' name. Mindsets. We demolish arguments and everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought that is against you and we submit it and surrender it to the obedience of Christ. Lord, set people free. Release them and cut them off from strongholds in Jesus' name that they can walk in true freedom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen.